Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to our listeners at the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Welcome to the Friday News Roundup. We're going to look at some of the recent news about the Supreme Court, but particularly the attacks on pro-life centers and protests in front of the judges' own homes. We'll look, too, at Uvalde and a little on the midterms, and then maybe we'll talk about Israel's elections and France's situation for Macron. But first, we're going to listen to these important messages. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. We're back. Victor is the Martin and Illy Anderson Senior Fellow in Military History and Classics at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. He has his own website, The Blade of Perseus, which is found at victorhanson.com. And everybody, of course, is welcome. And it's a great idea to subscribe for the Ultra articles, which are great content and a great deal at probably over 2,400 words each month. So Victor does a lot of work. Uh, Victor, I always ask you how you're each what week. Are you thinking of each week. Yes. Yeah, sorry. I didn't mention that. But Victor, I'm always asking you how you're doing um, or really what are your thoughts? Is there anything you would like to talk about before we get into the day's agenda? Well, there's a new book that I contributed I'm on the Great Reset, edited by Michael Walsh, and that's coming out. Yeah. I wrote the introduction to it about the dangers of that globalist project for us all. Bruce Thornton has a new book coming out about civilian and military, the tense relationship between civilians and their military across time and space from Athens. Paul Ray has an essay, Peter Monsur has an essay, members of the Military History Working Group at Hoover have contributed to it. I wrote the epilogue on the 2020-2022 crisis of the military and the civilians. Yeah, that sounds interesting. And then I just finished a long essay for the new criterion on the neo-Confederate impulse in blue states, how they resemble a lot of the mannerisms, means, and ideology of the antebellum South, whether it's big cotton is big tech or no middle class or obsessions with race or nullifying federal law. Yeah. And we need to give Roger Kimball a shake or a pat on the back. His publication from Encounter, The New Criterion, I read it all the time. I absolutely love it. Yeah, it's very good. I don't know how Roger is... At all at once, uh, he writes three or four columns a week. He is the editor-in-chief of Encounter Books. He's the editor-publisher of The New Criterion. And he's a very busy, very talented guy. And then what else? I'm in... This thing started in January with this house with a burned rafter 
and knob and tube shorting. And I thought it would be over with, but of course I knew about, but did not fully appreciate two things. Labor, I guess excess labor, people who were willing to work are almost impossible to find. Mm-hmm. And B, materials are on, almost impossible to find. And when they're found, I mean, a little bathroom fan, $300, they're almost impossible to purchase or they're backed up. So yeah. that's a long, windy explanation of in the long process to save this 150-year-old house with plumbing, sewage, new water supplies, paint in and out, wiring. It's taking now, it's been six months. Yeah. And there's still a lot of big projects left. And then I have this little annex to build a an office that I've never really had. And that has taken two months. Yeah. And we're not even close to seeing it done. That's kind of <laughs> depressing. And I'm on going to be two months with this long COVID and I'm still wiped out. But I, I mentioned that because I really want to thank people who've sent me all kinds of tips and encouragement. And I can tell you that I'm getting more energy each week. I'm up to about 50%, but I have a lot of, it's weird. I mean, I've never had no taste or no smell or neuropathy or insomnia, but I have all of that. And And more. Yeah, (laughs) more than that. I don't even want to get into all of these kinds. The thing is, when you have this COVID, it excites an autoimmune response. And you're just sitting there and you're thinking, wow, I'm out of breath. Wow, my heart rate just is soaring. Oh, wow, I'm itching. Wow, I don't think I can hear very well in that ear. Wow, I mean, it's, and they're all real. They're not psychosomatic. Oh, wow, I I think that glass I just drank out of weighed 5,000 pounds. And, but then you have to say, Victor, Victor, calm down, take a deep breath. It's just your immune system that overreacted. A lot of people have this. Don't go get your brain scanned or go in and get a colonoscopy. All this stuff that they do, just calm down. This You were fine before this happened. It's COVID. And I take a lot of, a lot of people tell me to get sun. I get sun, 20 minutes of sun every day. I take some vitamin D. I take a lot of vitamins. Yeah, I'm kind of a supplement convert now. So <laughs> I, I take eight or nine supplements. I don't know if, have they, nice. if they have any. The only thing I've noticed is I have, a, I've always had a sulfur allergy. That was from, I think, getting kind of poisoned when I was putting sulfur on the vines for 20 years. And now mm. I used to bathe in it. And now sulfur, I don't know if it's the same thing as sulfite. I don't quite think it is, but anything no. that has sulfite. So every once in a while, I'll take a supplement and bam. I start swelling up. So I watch that, but I'm trying to do things. And I try to, no matter how wiped out, I try to exercise. I mean, I can hardly walk some days, but I will get on the exercise bike for 20 minutes or swim or walk no matter what. And I haven't haven't missed one column. And I've been doing my blade of Perseus 2,800 words. So a week. So that's the, I will not That's the state of things. Yeah. Yeah. So let's turn to the, podcast then and look at this week there's been a lot of news about pro-life centers and churches being attacked and then of course we have the demonstrators right outside judges households and we all know that that is against the law and yet we don't have anything being done about those protesters so i was wondering what Anything spark your interest this week about the Roe versus Wade decision by the Supreme Court and the events that are attendant to that? Well, I, I talked to about on Tucker's on Tuesday night. We talked about this, the asymmetry in the law. And there's two issues. One is that on the issue of Roe versus Wade or pro-life versus pro-choice, This government, this administration, and the permanent administrative state, and the popular culture, and the financial institutions and professional sports and Hollywood, they they exercise such pressure that politically, even though polls show it's about 50-50, but that whether you believe in abortion, and it goes way up against it when the abortion takes place further and further into a pregnancy. So late-term abortion has almost no popular support. Yeah. 
But what I'm getting at is that it's a suicide pact to try to demand a free speech or discuss it. Or, I mean, just think of the protocols the left has broken. This was unheard of on May 3rd that a employee whose name has never been revealed and has not been fired leaked a confidential circulating draft opinion of the Supreme Court. And that was a, a violation of a, a century of protocol. But that is passe now. Then what was pass shocking, which is now passe, is going to the home of a Supreme Court justice and yelling and screaming and mobbing it in order to put so much pressure that he would kind of muse to himself or she would muse to herself. Hmm. Do I really want to perhaps turn Roe versus Wade back to the States and put up with these people screaming at my daughter or my son? That's where it's intended. It's intended to obstruct the process of justice. It's a felony. Mm -hmm. That became passe. And now we're into an armed gunman on a mission to kill Brett Kavanaugh. And he would have because the FBI, who is so busy retrieving Hunter's laptop or going after Ashley Biden's diary or making uh, James O'Keefe stripped to his underwear or putting handcuffs and shackles on Peter Navarro or sending a SWAT team to arrest Roger Stone, had no idea this guy existed. Mm. And then he called 9-11, I guess, a family member and backed off. And yet there was no anger. There was no democracy dies in darkness if you start to assassinate a Supreme Court judges. Yeah. So it's so asymmetrical. And you, you know that, and everybody listening knows, that if 100 people showed up at Justice Sotomayor's home, God forbid, or somebody with a gun showed up right outside the house of Justice Kagan, or if some right-wing guy leaked a confidential memo for the purpose of ginning up this type of anger and violence, the left would go crazy. And so that leads us into the second issue. And the second issue is that we're 1793 revolutionary justice. There is no law. The law is what ideologues say it is, and it's perceived as legal and moral and just if it's progressive. And to the degree that it isn't, it's not. You don't. So sanctuary cities, forget federal immigration law. The border doesn't exist. We can just nullify federal law. Andrew McKay lied three times to a federal investigator. No problem. James Comey, could you tell us a little bit when you started your investigation of Donald Trump? For, I can't remember. <laughs> 245 times under oath. And, you know, it goes back to Eric Holder. Contempt yeah. of Congress, was he hunted down outside his home and put in shackles because no. he, he didn't turn over subpoenaed congressional information? He was the first attorney general in history to be held in contempt of Congress. Nothing, nothing. Yeah. And so the purpose of all what I'm getting at is twofold. One, it sends a message. It sends a message to the average citizen. If you are conservative, if you're activist, you're going to have the uh, your taxes or your personal life scrutinized in a way that somebody who's progressive will not. And second, it's a reminder that where we're in new territory is every time we've had these revolutionary movements, the 30s and the heyday of the Great Depression, the 60s, the revolutionaries were outside the courthouse. They were outside the Pentagon. They were outside the school administration building. They were outside the Capitol. They're running it now. This yeah. is not people in the street doing this. This is Merrick Garland. This is Joe Biden. These people are running the government. They are revolutionaries. The people in the Pentagon who are making these crazy videos about woke this and pronouns that, they're running the Pentagon. They can't win a war in Afghanistan. They can't find $80 billion in equipment, but they can make sure you say they for he or she. And so mm -hmm. we're in revolutionary times. It's really scary. It really is. I've never thought this country would be ruled by Jacobins, but that's who's running the government right now. Yeah, sure. And 
And we are the ones who are going to, not you and me, but we, the country, are the ones that are going to be determining how it all comes out. And people should be very active and wary, I think, of what's going on. I mean, they shouldn't just sit back and accept it. I think they know they're afraid. They know that the government has enormous powers of judge, jury, and executioner, and that this this administration started with Obama. Let's be clear about it. He weaponized yeah. the bureaucracies, but but we. I think we see a lot of people speaking out, like the commander's coach. I forget his name, Jack something. Jack Del. He Rio. spoke out, yeah. and they and they squashed He's, him. They fined him a hundred thousand dollars. They and did, but he still turned, spoke out. I know. Right. Will he do it again? I don't know. Joshua Katz spoke out. Good question. They fired him. They fired him. Yeah. Ilya Shapiro spoke uh, Ilya. out. They put him on hold, and then they said he could come back, sort of, kind of. And then they gave so many sort of, kind of conditions that he just said, you people aren't worth it, and resigned. Yeah. And so that emboldens people. They have a deterrent factor. At some point, though, there's going to be a counter-revolutionary majority who says, you know what? I'm just on my lawnmower every Sunday. Just I have nothing against transgendered people. When I meet them, I don't stare at them. I don't make fun of them. I've got a gay nephew or a lesbian aunt. It's no big deal. But you keep pushing and pushing and pushing and changing my language and my traditions and my customs and my religion. And you assault them, assault them. And you tell me this country is no good ad nauseum. I'm not going to just suddenly in the year of our Lord, 2022, turn over this wonderful country and the people who died to keep it to you people. I'm not going to do it. And so we'll see if that starts in November. It's going to get nasty. Everybody listening should remember it's going to get really nasty in October. You're going to hear that January 6th, these people are going to be drawn and quartered if they're convicted of any little infraction. You're going to see Roe versus Wade. If Roe versus Wade is sent back to the states, you're going to have rioting. And it's going to be kind of like May Mm. 2020, where Kamala Harris says, this isn't going to stop, nor should it stop. Remember, she said that. Remember, we're obsessed on January 6th about Donald Trump said, go over there and march and tell him and do it peaceably. And the vice presidential nominee of 2020 said, these riots are not going to stop, nor should they. They're going to go on and on. If that's not inciting a violent protest, I don't know. And she said that after the May 31st assault on the St. John's Episcopal Church, the breakout from Lafayette Square, and the attempt to get onto the White House grounds that sent the president into the bunker. So it's yeah. going to be a, a very, January- very nasty fall fall it sure is the january 6th committee it seems to me is trying to prove that donald trump actively conspired to do this though because they have all these people from his administration saying we told him to stop and he wouldn't <laughs> and they so i think that's part of their conspiracy well i play, mean but we, I, do you we, think that will play out on i that, don't know that, i don't know case? the reason i don't know is it's not a committee there's yeah it's true democrats and then the word went out, if you're going to serve on this committee and you're Republican, Nancy Pelosi is only going to allow you to do so if, A, you voted to impeach the president of the United States, and B, you're, you're politically inert. You're not going to be a candidate that's going to win in the fall. You're a has-been. Yeah. And you're a puppet. And you hate yeah. Trump more than the left does. So maybe Trump did things. I don't know. But there's no cross-examination. There's nobody saying, yeah. well, wait a minute. Yeah, these people are going to go say what you want because you go after Navarro and Bannon and all these other people and you try to criminalize this proceeding. This is not a criminal investigation. And you you don't have people giving testimony and then each person on the committee back and forth arguing. And why not, as we said, I think with Jack, why not have a committee called Attack on Federal Property and have one week on May 20th, 31st, excuse me, and the attack on the White House grounds or the federal courthouses or the police precincts and who let it happen and why in terms of damage, death, destruction, yeah. arrest. It was far more egregious than this. And then have the January 6th side by. They're not going to do that. It's a show trial. Yeah. 
Okay, let's turn to another case of violence, and that's the Uvalde school where 19 children were killed and two teachers and the school police were there. I believe they said three minutes into the shooter being on the campus and making himself known. And yet they did not do anything for an hour and 14 minutes, at which time the Border Patrol showed up. And they were the ones that actually killed the killer. And I thought that was kind of interesting. It certainly says a lot for a border patrol. But is the law not protecting the victims, Victor? What's wrong? Uh, It's, you know, it's this entire culture of force protection. So law enforcement has been told your primary duty is to protect yourself, the force. It's not to take risk in the, you know, in the old days. If 9-11 happened right now and... The New York Fire Department followed the ethos of 2020. You would have a lot of firemen that would not be allowed to go up in that building, or they'd have a lot of them that wouldn't want to. That was not that culture and generation on 9-11. Those guys just just marched right up to their deaths. And, And why did they do that? They did that in the hopes they could save some people. And they did save a lot of people. As they went up, they told people, it's dark. We want you to get out, get out, get out. But everything about 2020 and our generation is creepy. It really, I mean, Adam Smith said there's a lot of ruin in a society. And he meant by that is don't think that because you broke the pact with a prior generation, you consumed rather than invested. You redistributed rather than created. You destroyed the protocols that gave people freedom and liberty and your foundational document. Don't think because you did that, the society falls apart. He and David Hume were heavily influenced by Rome. And you could argue that people were not investing in Rome by 350 AD. It took a century. So I don't know how much fat we have or how much ruin, but this administration is really testing this country. It's saying, you know what? We don't need a border. We have 3 million people are going to come across in my first two years, Joe Biden's. And I don't care if they're vaccinated. I don't care if they have COVID. I don't care if they're fentanyl. Uh, mules. I do not care if they're terrorists. They're just going to come across. I don't care if San Francisco's losing its population, if it's boarded up, if Walgreens and Rite Aid are going in, you know, they're pulling out. I don't care if there's feces on the street. I don't care. It's just the way it is. I don't care. I don't care about you people trying to drive from Bakersfield to Wasco at $7 a gallon for your diesel pickup or for $6 for, I just don't care. And the, I don't know how long you can do that, not care when you yeah. can't find baby formula or tampons or you change your oil and suddenly it's $120. Yeah, I know how long they can do that until the next election. <laughs> well, I mean, until the next election or two, there's always a corrective, you know, that famous staying, I think it was... Ben Stein's father was Secretary of the Treasury, Herb Stein. He said, what yeah. cannot go on will not go on. And this is not sustainable, the, these processes that are enforced right now on energy and crime and foreign policy and, and economics and you know transgenderism. They're just not sustainable. If you were to continue the male into the female sports, this Leah character. If you were continue that, you would destroy female sports. If you continue with the border policy, there will not be a United States. It'll be the southern part from the Gulf to the Pacific Ocean, and the northern part of Mexico will be sort of like Gaul or Germania in the first century BC. It'll be just a territorial regional area that tribes drift in and out of. Yeah. Or sort of like 19th century when cowboys broke the law, just headed across the Rio Grande in New Mexico and vice versa. So it's not sustainable. All of this stuff is not sustainable. Just a matter of how much ruin, and that's a synonym for fat, we have. How many people died on Guadalcanal or were blown apart at Shiloh or were killed in Okinawa or got a bullet in the brain on D-Day? How much all that cost? How many people farm for nothing in the Depression? All of that, those collective lives, how much of that do we count on? Their traditions, yeah. their customs, their work ethic that they passed on. Pretty strong. And so this little smug 
uh, snarky little generation. We'll see if it can destroy it. It's doing its best. I give, I hand it to them. Yeah. Yeah. They certainly are achieving if we can call it achieving, but anyways, they sure are achieving things in our schools and in the economy and in the bureaucracies, right? So what I really think are going to do the Democrats in, in November is inflation and the border. I think those are the two big things. Well, inflation there. is something that people, I just got back from a supermarket in Salma, which I would say was 99.9% Hispanic. And of that number, I would say 25 were recently crossed the border because they did not speak Spanish very well. They spoke an indigenous dialect, probably from Chiapas or Yucatan or Oaxaca. But my point is this, that the cash registers were showing not $80, not $100, but $300 and $400, $500. And the people were bringing out I mean, this happens a lot, but I'm talking about three or four EBT cards, electric bank transferred food stamps. And most of them were shot. I was in a long line where people were about rioting because this woman kept bringing them out and other people. And so what I'm getting at is the food is unaffordable and people are desperate. They're finding fake cards or fake ID. They're doing anything. You know, maybe they are just gaming the system, but. We're at the breaking point where 680 a gallon in gas will burn up a lot of funny money quick. Yeah. And sure. everybody's full of funny money. But at the way these prices are going for the essentials of life, food, shelter, fuel, electricity, building materials, I, I think we're going to have a rendezvous, showdown, accounting, whatever you want to call it, settling up somewhere between, I'd say, January and March of next year. Yeah. I saw a, a chart on the amount of money that goes to purely consumption, household necessities. I was kind of surprised that it was showing averages. So that the average was 30%, which was high relative to other years, but 30% on the average goes to these things like groceries and you know the necessities of life. I was surprised it was so low, you know. It's low because traditionally land has been cheaper than Europe and farming is much more efficient and food is cheaper yeah. and rent is cheaper. And we have a can-do attitude, but we've lost that. It's catching up to us. It's catching yeah. up to us and it's going to get more and more expensive. And everybody has children that's listening or as a child of a parent, you're worried because you think, my gosh, if I was that age, 35 again with three kids. I have a daughter with three children. One's disabled. I have another son with two children. I thought, wow, how would you, how would you make it in this climate? And so you want to do all you can to help them, but you don't know if the system is just going to overwhelm them crying. And I don't, I mean, you read, I read the Fresno Bee every day. I shouldn't say every day. I look at the headlines. I don't want to, I'm not a big fan of its ideological slanting of the news. But it's basically a tale of smash, shoot, and stab. It really is. It's just Mm -hmm. so-and-so ran a stop sign, killed three people, DUI. So-and-so was a gang member and fell through a roof that he was trying to break through. So-and-so stabbed his girlfriend. Somebody shot his... That's all it is. It's just out. It's like Tombstone, Fresno, Stockton, Merced. It's like a little Chicago and I don't know how long that's sustainable. And yeah. people are going to say, well, Victor, that's every generation. No, I used to read the Fresno Bee when I was eight years old. I ran out to the, came in the afternoon. I would run out there and get it and read it cover to cover. And there was almost no violence, none. And it was always stories about California Water Project nearing completion. Governor Pat Brown says another dam is needed. You know, Amtrak rail line being laid. 99 to achieve freeway status. It was always can do. Everybody was busy trying to build a a community and a society. That was California. But this society is just, I don't know what, what, I guess it's scared. We don't have people that can get up in the morning and say, you know what? If I'm mayor of this city and there's somebody defecating and endangering public health, 
through transmissible diseases. And we solved that problem around 1200 AD in Europe. And he's urinating and he's fornicating. I'm not going to allow that to happen. Go pick him up and we're going to take him out to a very humane camp with individual stalls and or a mental health hospital or facility, but he's not going to do it here. And the next SOB that does smash and grab or carjacking, we're going to find a, a felony indictment and we're going to incarcerate. And if we have to go back to the three strikes that broke crime in California and build more prison, damn it, we're going to do it. But we're not going to turn these people loose on the innocents like wolves upon lamb. Yeah, And we're going to okay. clean up the streets. And I think you know, nobody can do that because they have a thousand reasons why not and none to say yes. They just have to say, I'm on the side of civilization and you're on the side of chaos and primitivism. <laughs> and I vote for civilization. It, and therapy. Every, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Call, call me every it's name It's all the book. therapy. That's what it is. Yeah. I guess it is. It's un, you're an unfeeling civilizationalist. <laughs> but who is really cruel? All of these people with their therapeutics or somebody who says we need law and order and we need to. Well, we, we know the answer right? to that. Uh, I know. Progressive is a cruel person. He's yeah, the person absolutely. usually that goes down to Market Street and steps over the feces, dodges the, doesn't step on, he drives by in a Tesla. And looks at that chaos and said, man, I'm glad I live in Presidio Heights. I got to get going. It's two o'clock. I got to get to Tahoe before the traffic goes. That's Too bad the for the people that have to live yeah. there. <laughs> wouldn't see you. Wouldn't want to be you. That's how their attitude is. Just go, you know, just go to Stanford University. I go there once a week. And my God, just look at El Camino Real with all the buses in Winnebago's. Who are those people? They're the people who in 14 AD were living outside the castle keep, outside the walls and shacks, when the master yeah. rode out and said, hello. Here's some, <laughs> and that's, they do. They go clean bathrooms I at, at Google. They're working to cut the lawn at Apple, but they can't afford a house. They can't no. afford rent because the people who make the money don't want them around. So they don't say that, but they say, we have to have green. We have to have a sustainable lifestyle. We have to have a community that's is, you know, it doesn't extract fossil fuels from the, the earth. I don't know what it is, but it's basically, I got mine and I don't want you anywhere near me. And, but I will allow you to come and park that wrecked car and rent out the back seat every eight hours to a guy to sleep as long as I pay you $14 an hour to clean my toilet. And that's what that attitude is. And this is coming from left-wing people. Remember that. Yeah, These are not right-wing nuts. And that's no. what is so weird and bizarre. This is the one question of our age that is bizarre, that the left is dominated by very wealthy powerful, highly educated people. And they have constructed this entire facade of virtue signaling caring that basically is a medieval penance to assuage their guilt and to ensure that the consequences of their own utopian bromides are never going to boomerang back on themselves. Yes. And, that's, and they that's, are that's the world we live in. Yeah. Well, Victor, let's take a moment for some messages and come right back and look at the midterms since we've been speaking about elections. We'll be right back. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome back, Victor. I wanted to talk about the midterm elections because a lot of the returns have been coming in and we've noticed that in some cases, the people that Donald Trump supported 
did not win and those unsupported by Donald Trump did. And so just to give you an example, in Virginia, we had Yassili Vega, who is going to run against the Democrat in one of the districts in Virginia, and she was not supported by Donald Trump and the other Republican candidate was. And then Katie Britt was at first not supported by him, although he did come in to support afterwards. And in Georgia, Mike Collins, who won, was not supported by Trump, and he was running in this primary against Vernon Jones, who was supported by Trump. And in Georgia as well, Rick McCormick, who won, was not supported by Trump, but Jake Evans, the contender, was. And as you know, the governorship, Brian Kemp, was not supported by Trump. And I know that it's felt that Brian Kemp did not support Trump, you know, when it came to the issue of the election and whether it was legitimate or not. And so perhaps there was some hard feeling there. But I was wondering what you think about Donald Trump as kingmaker. Is that something that we can write off these days or is Donald Trump? Is that just a small portion of a bigger picture of Donald Trump? Well, Donald Trump's endorsement, if you look at in terms of the number of them, he has a good record. But these high profile, I mean, Mo Brooks, he turned on Mo Brooks because Mo Brooks didn't support the accusation that election was rigged and you have to replay it. And then you look at other races in the Carolinas and Virginia, and it's mixed. But we're headed very soon to what we're going to see polls. There's going to be Iowa polls. There's going to be New Hampshire polls. And that's going to be a driver of money. And I think there was a poll this week in New Hampshire that showed DeSantis running neck and neck, if not ahead of Trump. And that's going to be very important because if these polls show a DeSantis or Nikki Haley or Tom Cotton or Marco Rubio or Pompeo getting close to Trump or a DeSantis ahead of him, then they're going to raise money and they're going to coalesce and then they're going to send out people like Chris Christie as, you know, drones to go out and blow up Trump. And he should keep this in mind. If he wants to run, he's got to stop what he's doing. And that is just replaying. And re I know they want to destroy him and they want to do it unfairly and probably illegally. But I'm not talking about what's fair or legal. I'm talking about what's in Donald Trump's best interest. Yeah. If he wants to be a viable candidate and unite the Republican Party and get 90% of them to vote for him and 65% of the independents, and I think he could do that easily if he wanted to, he could probably win. But to do that, he would have to have a press conference. And he said, this is what was wrong with the 2020 election. These were changes in voting laws in March, April, May of 2020. These were inconsistencies with mail-in and early voting. These were infusions of dark money, whether it's Mark Zuckerberg's $419 million or what. And you know what? I can't change the verdict, but I am going to make sure that's never going to happen again. But more importantly, here is my contract with America. And this is what I'm going to do on energy, inflation, crime, the border, yeah. Iran, foreign policy, Russia, China, and just give, spell it out. And he's here's my judicial picks. I did it before. Here they are. Here's a list of judges. But I'm not sure that he, that the harm that has been done him and the hurt that he feels is such that I don't think he's able to come at it of, so level headed. Yeah. The election of Donald Trump is what long COVID is to me. It's I'm obsessed by it. It's driving me nuts. Yeah. You know what I mean? I get up every morning, the same old thing. It doesn't change. And that's what he's got. And you got to get over it. And the only way to get over it is to forget about it and try to battle through. And he's got to do that. And if he can't, he's going to not get the nomination because the polls and these endorsements in these key states are starting to show kind of a fissure or I don't know, not an exact picture, but some suggestions that people are very much proud of the Donald Trump record. They like the way he fights, but he exhausts them. And there is about half, I think, 
of the Republican Party that would prefer somebody like DeSantis over Trump with the qualifier that if that's not possible, they will vote for Donald Trump, or at least most of them will. And he's got to be very careful about that. And yeah. he's got to be much more careful in the way that he prepares his public responses. And I mean, he did that interview with Piers Morgan, you know, and he could have done that in a way that would have been more beneficial to him and get, I know that they rigged, you know, walking out and they cut the tape and yeah, expect all that. But he's yeah. got to find ways that work to his advantage and disrupt the stereotypes. And he can be very yeah. good. He's got a great sense of humor. He can laugh at his enemies. But when he doubles down and gets in these feuds, it's not in his interest. And as we go forward, the left, I don't quite understand the left because I understand that Donald Trump outpolls both Kamala Harris and Joe Biden. But they're so intent on destroying him that if they destroy him and make him, you know, not viable because of the January 6th something and drag it and redo the Mueller type of investigation, I'm not sure that there's not Republican candidates that feel that that would be to their advantage and some in the Republican Party. So you mean some of the Republican candidates would be hoping for that? Is that what you're? Yeah, I think there's a lot of big money in the Republican Party. That would that like to have Donald Trump out. Some of them are, but the majority are not Mitt Romney, George Bush family types, silk stocking Republicans. I mean, uh, Mitt Romney or, or the Bushes or McCain wing. They yeah. are, you know, middle class MAGA people and they have a lot of money and they do not want to go through this again. And they would probably think that DeSantis, based on his education, based on his congressional and executive experience, based on how hard he pushes back, how much his governance emulates Trump's, would be a viable person that they would wake up in the morning, let's say, in 2024, and they're not reading that DeSantis said that Anthony Fauci throws a ball like a girl, right? Or that Stormy (laughs) Daniels is a horse mouth, or there is no Stormy Daniels. I mean, every candidate's going to have skeletons in the closet, but... And I'm not attacking Trump. I'm just trying to suggest to him that he doesn't need to do what he's doing. He's made his point. He's yeah. not going to overturn the 2020 election. It's not going to happen. You can make the argument that his obsessions with it have prompted people to be much more auditory, and they're going to go audit in a way they might not have. But now it's counterproductive. It's taking yeah. precious days away from his message, and it's reinforcing a stereotype of him. Where when he's, you know, when he's relaxed and he jokes, he can be funny and he can be ironic. And he, he that's when he, people like him. Yeah. So well, that's when why, he seems strong. Yeah. I don't yeah. know why he's doing this. I don't. He's getting terrible advice from his counselors. Yeah. And this whole endorsement thing has turned into a circus. Yeah. And I have a feeling I have no information whatsoever, but I have a feeling that all of these handlers are running, you know, political campaigns where they go to these state, federal, whatever, legislators and say, I can, I can get hire me and I can get you Donald Trump's endorsement. Not that Trump is in on it, but yeah. I think that's a bad idea. That's really bad. You know, I, I had another thing that I thought was interesting for the midterms, and that was the Asian American vote. A Pew Research Center poll found that 53% of Asian Americans approve of what Joe Biden is doing right now, and 47% disapprove of what Joe Biden is doing. When Joe Biden had won the Asian American vote by 44 points, so now there's only that seven-point spread. Or If you were to go back and look in the days of Dr. Hayabakawa, our senator, the Asian population has radically changed, and it was an older population. It was mostly Japanese-Americans and Chinese-Americans. And by all economic indicators, they had a per capita, and they do have a per capita income that was higher than the so-called white majority, and they were very conservative. But in the late 70s and 80s and 90s, two or three things happened. The Vietnam War had a lot of people come in, over a million Southeast Asians who were very poor, 
and we're in dire need of federal assistance. And then you open the doors of immigration from the Philippines, from Indonesia, from India. And we had a whole different profile of Asians come who were far more left-wing. So that's what reflected your suggestion that 40%. But what's happened now is the older Japanese and Chinese communities are still conservative. But these young kids that go to the university, they get woke. They live in urban environments. And there is a war out. They just arrested a woman in New York City from Florida that was going around spraying pepper spray and the faces of Asian American in New York. And there's a subtext, too, that most of the hate crime increases are directed at Asian Americans, and they are committed by so-called marginalized people of color inordinately African-American. And there's the further perception, there's no enforcement, there's no arrest, there's no incarceration because of these district attorneys in these large cities. And so a lot of Asian young people, young people see their parents and their relatives or aunts and uncles in terror. And then you have to add on that, that while the Asian young student groups try to feel that they're part of Barack Obama's diversity coalition, and they have radical left-wing leaders, deep down, they understand that we're not into proportional representation admissions or hiring. We're in repertory, reparations hiring. So they know that their 4.5 GPAs and their perfect SAT, to the extent they even take them anymore, are not going to get them in to Harvard or Yale or Stanford anymore. And They understand that, and they feel that there's a systematic and justifiable bias against them because of their skin color or superficial appearance, i.e., they excel so well, and they play by the American rules so well, and they work so hard that when other groups didn't emulate their behavior and fell behind, then they had to take the hit. And the way they took the hit was very racist by saying, oh, you people have no personality. So here's grades, one-third, here's test scores, one-third, and then there's community service, personality, extracurricular activities. Now, we'll use that to get you out. And so I think that's behind it. And it's part of a larger picture that's being drawn because the white working classes hate Joe Biden, good old Joe from Scranton, and the Democratic elites on the coast. They relied more and more. Remember, demography is destiny, the new democratic majority. They were the ones preaching the great replacement theories we've spoken about before. And they counted on 95% of Blacks, 75% of Latinos, 75% of Asians. Ha, 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 we replaced the white working class. Well, they can't afford 50-50. They can't afford 45-55. Whites are still anywhere from 68 to 70% of the population. And the working class is still much bigger than the coastal elite. Any defection in that diversity coalition, even a minor one, but these are major ones, is is really dangerous for the the Democratic Party. Couldn't happen to a nicer bunch of (laughs) racials. Exactly. Well, speaking of elections, if we could turn then to Naftali Bennett, who is the prime minister of Israel right now, it looks like he does not have a coalition to get anything done in parliament and so that parliament may be dissolved soon. And I was wondering if you heard anything about how that might go in the future and maybe with Bibi Netanyahu. Well, I think everybody understands that what they're doing to Bibi is sort of the Russian collusion Trump hoax on steroids. They have sidelined him and they passed these crazy laws that says that if you're under investigation, you can't serve in government as prime minister. So no one ever has found any evidence suggests. In fact, I've been reading some of the trial accounts. They're just ludicrous. The prosecution puts up witnesses and the witnesses testify basically against the prosecution as hostile witnesses. <laughs> so What I'm getting to is they're not going to find Bibi guilty of anything. And Bennett has been a disaster because he ran as if he was farther to the right than Bibi. 
But the only way he could gain power was to make an, a weird alliance with the Muslim Arab parties. Ar- Arab yeah. parties. And they took him far to the left. So then this Yar, I'm, I want to pronounce it right, Lapid, Lapid, he's probably going to be an interim leader, but it's anticlimactic. They're going to have elections, and Bibi's been on the sidelines, and security has not been good in Israel. There's been a lot of terrorist attacks on individuals. And when a person was there, you, you know, I was there, when you go there and you see people, they all talk about Bibi. It's not if, it's always when. Well, when Bibi comes back, oh, when Bibi comes, these are people who didn't vote for him. Bibi will take care of it. If there is heightened terrorism from the particular town, Bibi will handle it. If they attack you on Temple, Bibi's going to handle it. Bibi, we don't want to even think about Iran. That's Bibi's job. And they don't have that confidence in any other person. And so what we're going to see now, I think, is the Biden administration doing. I mean, they always say, oh, please don't invade Russian collusion. But we interfere more in Israel's election than almost any other election, more than ourselves. I mean, during the Obama administration, they were having left-wing political consultants work with the Obama team to make sure that Bibi didn't get elected. And they were hostile to them. And we're going to do that now with Biden. We're going to do everything in our power to try to tell people in the Knesset and business leaders, hey, if you guys vote for Bibi, we're going to cut aid or we're not going to do that. We're going to move toward Iran, balance, tilt toward Iran. So it's like the Bibi's election and return as prime minister is analogous to the midterm election. Everybody knows it's coming and it can't be stopped. Mm. Well, that's good. And I hope Israel gets him back because he certainly was much more effective than the current. Well, everybody Bennett. forgets that when he was Sharon's economic minister, I think it was 2006, he completely opened up the Israeli economy. I went pre-BB to Israel. And believe me, I didn't see a crane on the skylight of Tel Aviv. I just got back there and there were 70 of them. The whole country is bustling and it's still got its socialist heritage, but it's starting to really open up to, you know, free market capitalism and entrepreneurship and energy development. And boy, they're way ahead of us on desalinization technology and and they're exporting 20% of their water export. And mostly at a very cut rate or even in some cases free to West Bank communities and Arab villages within Israel. So it's just a matter of time. He's the only person around that's got the experience and the portfolio and has been through it and understands politics and understands the United States that can guide Israel through the next three to five years. It's going to be hell. Because as we speak, Iran is getting enriched uranium, not for one, but for three or four bombs. And its only dilemma, Iran's only dilemma, is getting the bomb, not using it. Once they get it, they won't have a problem using it. It's the getting it that they're worried about. And when they get the bomb, they're going to say every couple of days, just like Vladimir Putin threatens Europe, oh, we might take out Tel Aviv. No, tomorrow, next week it'll be Haifa. No, it'll be Jerusalem. It'll be a sort of Damocles over Israel. Just like the way Putin is trying to do that to Eastern Europe and the EU countries and us too. Yep. All right, Victor, let's take a moment for some messages and then come right back and talk a little bit about France's Emmanuel Macron. We'll be right back. There's something magical about unboxing. When you unbox BritBox, you uncover a world of British entertainment. Stream the UK's most brilliant series, including new and upcoming seasons of Shetland, Father Brown and Death in Paradise. Plus new originals like Payback, Irvin Welsh's Crime and Archie, the story of Hollywood's greatest leading man, Cary Grant. Unbox BritBox and escape to the best of British TV. Stream with a free trial at BritBox.com. We're back. And Victor, what are your thoughts? Emmanuel Macron was only just re-voted in as president this year. I think it seemed like this year, but maybe it was last year or so, on a platform of pension reform and raising retirement age. And yet he has no 
parliamentary majority to support him, and he's not expected to last beyond the year. What do you make of this in France? I think it's kind of a revolt against the, I don't know what to call it, the professional politician, the EU technocrat. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's the last of that group. He doesn't look like Boris Johnson. They're snazzy dressed. They're good looking. They're 40-ish to 60-ish. They have the proper pedigree. They're kind of like our aristocracy. And they think there's always sort of, there's always a solution, 51% compromise. There's always sort of a status solution. And they're the ones that gave Europe open borders, unassimilated, huge Muslim populations that can't stand their host, disarmed Europe, created this EU monstrosity, bureaucracy, appeased Putin. And so they're okay when... Europe is going on its fumes of earlier generation. But when it gets to a point like us, where you need new types of leaders that aren't shackled by the past and are not from the class that destroyed you, then I think people are going to look for radically different solutions. You know, socialist government centrist planning will get you so far, but it won't get you anything beyond a drone existence. And so you've got all these government workers, you've got all the subsidies, but their streets are not safe, their countries are not secure, they don't have energy, and they just bought hook, line, and sinker, all of these Green New Deal types of their version of it, Paris Climate Accord, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and I think it's kind of reached its theoretical limits. And I think the same thing happened to the Republican Party. I just can't imagine that you're going to nominate an investment banker from Goldman Sachs or Bain Capital, which is not going to happen. That's not who the people of Michigan, the lathe workers in Michigan, or the assembly workers in Northern Ohio want to vote for. I don't think you're going to have a guy like John McCain. I don't think you're going to have a guy like any of those people in the Republican Party. And I hope it happens to the Democratic Party, that we take Mm -hmm. one look at a John Kerry or Barack Obama or Joe Biden said, we don't want two types of people. We don't want fossils and dinosaurs who should have never been elected, but they've been you know, entrenched in the Congress. And two, we're sick and tired of Yale Law School, Harvard Law School, Brookings Institute, all that revolving door. We don't want them anymore. If the Democrats were smart, they would do that. But that's who runs but- the Democratic Party. In France, I, it seems to me, I don't think they're quite ready for Marine Le Pen and a nationalist and a right-wing she candidate on, like her. Yeah, she's not acceptable to their cultural taste. In other words, don't get me wrong, in terms of being racialist, they're well, they have certain ideas, but they don't want them aired, and they don't want to be seen as illiberal. And so they want somebody like, that was why Macron cut power. He was a pleasing, pleasant veneer. The optics were good with him. Yeah. But it didn't solve the problem that the old stereotype, you can't go into certain areas of Paris. Yeah. And you've got about six to eight percent of the population that hate your guts. And yeah. you don't know what to do with it. And yeah. I can't see who's going to come up, you know, in French politics, but so that'll be something interesting to look out for where France is going, since it does quite often lead the EU in many ways. Yeah, I think so. I think we don't understand the parliamentary system, whether it's Israel or Britain or France. It's just a group of players, and they come out of the Polytechnion or the Sorbonne or Oxford or Cambridge or or the uh, the Hebrew University or wherever they are in these parliamentary systems. And they get attached to a particular politician. They get put on committees. They work their way up. They go into the parliament. And then it's it's musical chairs for the rest of Mm. their life. They form little micro parties. They go in and out of power. They form coalitions. But they're all the same. (laughs) They're all the same people. And when they're not like a Le Pen or Bibi, that people hate their guts. The the system hates their guts. We're kind of like that, but we have a better system a two-party system where we don't have these micro-parties and 
people being prime minister that nobody ever voted for. I mean, they just coalitions dissolve and they appoint somebody. All right. Time is up here. So I would like to thank you for your wisdom today on all of these topics. It's pretty exciting time here in America. So always fun to talk about the current events. Thank you so much. And thank everybody for listening. I really deeply appreciate it. I really do. And when I go places, I, I really enjoy people coming up and saying that they listen to these podcasts. And we can yeah, all make a difference if we speak out. We have to speak out. Speak out. Absolutely. And join Victor at his website, the Blade of Perseus, VictorHanson.com. Thanks so much, everybody. And this is Sammy Wink and Victor Davis Hanson, and we're signing off. <laughs>